Hello, welcome to your courageous journey. This is Julie Fairber. And this is Julie Sickles. And we are so glad to be here with you today, sharing another mind moment. For those of you who might be new to our podcast, our format is one week. We will have an interview with someone who shares with us part of their story, part of their journey, part of their experiences that they've had. And then the following week, Julie and I speak together about either a psychological principle or a personal development principle, something that's related that can be helpful for you, our listeners. So today we're going to be talking about something that I'm super excited about. It is called the window of tolerance. I'm also excited about it. Yeah, so I have known about the window of tolerance for a very long time, but Julie has only just learned. She's yeah, pretty much today. She learned about it today. Well, <laughs> not totally. I mean, because they did reference it in the interview with uh, Denise and Jeff. Yes, you and heard so. the words, but you didn't really know what it was. So. Not really. No. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the window of tolerance is a model that was developed by Dan Siegel, and it's used to describe. Our nervous system, another way it's sometimes referenced is zones of arousal or zones of regulation. And there's three main kind of zones that describe what happens with our nervous system when we are triggered or when we're feeling unsafe. And the zones have a lot of description so that they can help you to better identify where you're at. You know, we do not have conscious control of our nervous system. And so when we like flip into a fight or flight response or into a freeze response, it's kind of an automatic flip that switches. Mm -hmm. But people's window of tolerance, and so window of tolerance kind of references what they usually call like the green zone. And the window of tolerance is when you're kind of in your optimal state, right? It's when you're feeling comfortable. It's when you are able to engage with other people and you feel safe, you feel calm, you, f- you feel alert, you feel relaxed, you feel aware. You're able to process information and learn and you're able to manage whatever emotions are coming to you while you're in that kind of green zone. So we call that the optimal zone of arousal, or that's like your window. Mm -hmm. But when you are triggered, it can flip your nervous system so that your sympathetic nervous system is activated. And when your sympathetic nervous system is activated, that will flip you into a state of fight or flight. That's what most people have heard this zone kind of being referenced as. So when you're in a state of hyper arousal, that is when your body is getting ready, right, to respond to this danger. Mm -hmm. And so your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases, your body is like sending blood, usually to your extremities in order to get you to like run away or to fight. Mm -hmm. So anxiety or problems with anger, or oftentimes you'll find it's someone whose window is small, so they're flipping into that anger or that anxiety state quicker. Mm-hmm. So some of the other symptoms you can find when you're in a state of hyperarousal is you're hypervigilant. So you notice every little thing around you. Like paranoid. Yeah, or just hypersensitive, or yeah, yeah you 
perceive things as being a threat, even if maybe not a threat, right? Okay, so paranoia would fit into that elevated hyperarousal state, right? It can. I mean, if we're talking about someone who's schizophrenic, I don't know that they necessarily are always going to be in hyperarousal when they're paranoid because that's part of their presentation. Mm -hmm. But definitely like someone who doesn't have normal paranoia tendencies might be more Okay. Paranoid when they're in a state of hyperarousal. So, okay. So paranoia and hypervigilance is not necessarily the same thing. No, I wouldn't okay. call them the same yeah. thing. All right. But what is really interesting about knowing and understanding these things is it really can help you respond very differently. When you're in a state of fight or flight, what most people don't realize is that your thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex, you know, right behind your forehead where... You know, that's kind of the part of our brain that makes us human, that helps us with problem solving and mm-hmm. and so forth. Literally, that part of our brain is shut off when we are in fight or flight. Mm. We are not engaging in thinking that's going to be helpful. We're very much, it's the part of our brain that responds to threat. That's mm-hmm. all about survival and safety. Mm-hmm. So... Our thinking tends to be more rigid or chaotic. We have poor judgment. Our thoughts are racing. Sometimes we'll have a lot of OCD type thoughts or behaviors, obsessive compulsive behaviors, intrusive emotions, right? Like we are very emotionally reactive. Mm -hmm. Um, We feel very overwhelmed and overtaken by emotions, like they're out of control. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good way to describe both a state of hyperarousal and a state of hypoarousal. Like it's like it's happening to us rather than us, you know, being able to be engaged Mm -hmm. with our emotions. Mm -hmm. So when we're in that state, we're not in a state where we can learn, grow, or connect with other people, right? Like if you're a married couple and one of you is in a hyperarousal state, then that person is like literally, their brain is not going to have the ability to mm-hmm. listen and process what the other person is saying. Mm-hmm. And we know that listening is a fundamental skill of communication. Mm-hmm. So this, I feel like any couple having an awareness of the window of tolerance is going to help them to be able to better to come together and communicate. Right. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because we haven't even t- talked about hypoarousal. Hypoarousal. Yeah. Yeah. So hyperarousal is usually called like the red zone. Mm-hmm. And then our window is the green zone. And so hyperarousal would be kind of over the window. But we can also, our nervous system can kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. And that's what we call hypoarousal. So hyper is elevated and hypo mm-hmm. is when everything's decelerated. Is that a word? It is now. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we're in a state of hypoarousal, some of the physical symptoms that you might have is your heart rate slows down. You don't have a lot of energy. You might get really tired. Uh, your hands and feet might get cold because what the blood is doing is rushing in to in, protect yeah. you. Your yes. vital organs. Right. To your, yeah, exactly. Rushing <laughs> yeah. into your vital or- organs. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's almost like a lot of times people experience a feeling of disconnection. 
from the outside world. Yeah. A, a feeling of dissociation, a feeling of things don't feel real. And that can be both like outside of your body, or it can also be disconnection from your own physical body where you don't feel like your senses are working. So when you're in that freeze response, once again, your brain is not in an optimal place to be able to engage. You can't learn because your blood is like going to your organs. It's not right. going to your brain as much. So mm -hmm. your thinking is actually slowed down. Okay. You're not as connected with what's going on. Okay. People oftentimes express like they just feel really depressed or they feel really numb or they feel really hopeless or they feel really shut down. Sometimes they, they literally feel like they can't talk when they go into mm -hmm. this hypo-aroused state. Yes. So when they're in this hypo-aroused state, it doesn't feel good. And it's an interesting thing because I work with a lot of people with anxiety and a lot of times I ask them, like, what are your symptoms? And they'll say, yeah, I had a panic attack. And then I'll ask them what their symptoms were. And sometimes their symptoms are the hyper arousal, more of the anxiety, the mm -hmm. you know, the heart rate and everything. But sometimes it's a hypo arousal. And so it's good to differentiate because the techniques and the tools that you're going to use to help yourself when you're in one of those states is going to be very different, sometimes opposite Mm -hmm. between the two right so I kind of wanted to talk about the experience that I was talking to you a, a bit about Julie that I had yeah. was it yesterday <laughs> I made a mistake so you guys would know if you've been listening from the beginning that I sometimes get into like the true crime stories yeah you really have liked those a lot yeah well it's fascinating to me right and I also just love Stories of like triumph and overcoming, you know, anything that's like difficult. And a lot of these stories are survivors of, you know, violence, things like that. And so it is something that's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because on one side, there's a lot of like hope and healing and stuff from a lot of the victim stories. But on the other side, it's the, the things they went through it's is just hard to hear. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. And so... I was listening to uh, or watching a documentary on Netflix about this woman who was kidnapped and she ended up being raped by her kidnapper. And that wasn't even the worst part, though. The worst part of it for me was the police did not believe her and the media villainized her. The police villainized her on press conferences and the media just took it and ran, right? Yeah. And so... So tell me what happened with you when you watched this. So there were just things that went through my mind about my own situation. And I personally did not feel safe because of... I was kind of drawing parallels between her experiences and mine, you know? And it was... Along the lines of not being believed and also villainized, right? And so my brain was kind of racing with these kinds of thoughts. Okay, so this is something that I haven't really come out and said yet. and But it's something that you and I have discussed being an important part of you doing the podcast, too. So mm -hmm. I think it's good yeah. for, for us to talk about this today. <laughs> All right. So the reason why this thing triggered me so much is because... 
I was raped. Like, yeah, and your and, PTSD is that you have been struggling with is specifically because of that rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's a lot of what I've been experiencing. But I mean, my brain. So I just want to talk about like the things that were going on. So definitely the fight or flight was there in my head. I was actually kind of fighting with. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain it. I was having like inner dialogue with people who I have not felt safe around. Yeah. Well, and I think also imagining what it would be like if you were to talk to certain people and not be believed and how that would Mm -hmm. affect your life. Mm -hmm. And your mind was creating like kind of these worst case scenarios. Right. After watching this experience that had happened to a woman where that's exactly what happened, right? Mm -hmm. She went to the police for help. And instead, received all this backlash. Mm -hmm. By the way, in the story, it turns out that they ended up finding a whole lot of evidence that corroborated her story, right? Yeah. And And he did it to someone else and he got mm -hmm. caught. Yeah. Yeah. So she was telling the truth the whole time. And um, the thing that was so crazy about it is that it's such a far-fetched story just because it's not a typical thing that happens, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it was more of a stranger abduction and less... Oh, it was so weird. Yeah. The yeah. details around it. The guy is not yeah. okay. What Anyways. is the name of it in case anybody wants to watch it? <laughs> American Nightmare. And it is okay. exactly that. So anyways. So if you are easily triggered, don't watch American Nightmare. Yeah, and I didn't even realize how much it would trigger me i didn't know what it was about before i i wasn't familiar with the story so i was just like oh some kind of true True. crime story yeah let's go no but anyway so what i was experiencing physically seemed very much initially in that state of hyper arousal the reason why i bring this up is because very quickly it seemed to go to hypo arousal Yeah. And you can do that. You can bounce from one to the other. So I want to tell you what happened to me. I didn't tell you this yet, Julie. I was laying on the couch and you were talking about stuff about your nervous system, the freeze response, like slow to disable thinking process, dissociation. Yeah, there was a lot of dissociation. I was feeling very like, like head spinning, kind of of lightheaded a little bit. Yeah. But okay. So I was laying on my couch my legs were I was on my side and so it was kind of like sort of fetal position but on my side uh, my mm-hmm. legs were tucked up but they were like resting against each other right yeah I could not feel my legs touching each other ah yeah that's a good a good sign of hypoarousal because you're not connected to your body you're not yeah feeling that. it was a very odd experience and it feels scary yeah it was mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, I definitely had so this disorganized cognitive processing that was definitely there. I wouldn't say poor judgment. I wasn't doing anything. I was just sitting there and the intrusive emotions, images, all of that stuff was coming back. And it was interesting because I have somewhat talked about my experience since then. And I've been able to do it in a way that's not emotional. Mm-hmm. Like almost like I've been able to like like observe it well process them in a healthy way yeah so that i can talk about it without having triggered yeah Mm -hmm. but in this moment it was like no everything was out of control and it was crazy yeah 
And that's why I think this theory can be so helpful because now we can talk more about, you know, what to do mm-hmm. when you're in either of those states to help bring you back into the window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. So which one do you want to talk about first, hyperarousal or hypoarousal? Let's do hyper because that's the one we talked about first. Okay. So what you're wanting to do is kind of calm or soothe your nervous system. You know, they also talk about the vagus nerve when it comes to your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So you want to get back to your parasympathetic nervous system. They also call it the ventral vagal nerve. And so... What is that exactly? Where is it? What does it do? Yeah. So your vagal nerve actually runs from your head like all the way down Mm-hmm. In, into your body and it it's the nerve that is responsible for this parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system response so it's the nerve that is going to be controlling all of these responses and you know it's just incredibly powerful and can be activated very quickly you know it can mm-hmm. take just one thought mm-hmm. in order to activate it so we want to help shift those physiological responses that are happening in our body. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that we can do that are going to help to do that switch, and for everyone, it's going to be a little bit different, right? So what works for one person might not work for another. And also with each person, what works in one moment may not be what works in the next moment. So (laughs) I've experienced that. Yeah. And so having kind of a, a list can be helpful, especially... If this happens a lot, because once you move into hyperarousal, you're not going to think through like, hey, I'm super triggered right now. I need to do this or this, right? Because Mm -hmm. those cognitive processes and our prefrontal cortex are really shut down. So Mm -hmm. having a list is super helpful for us to be able to literally like pull up on our phone or, Mm -hmm. you know, pull a piece of paper out. Because we're not going to just come Mm -hmm. up with it off the top of our head. That's another thing that's tricky is our thinking doesn't help us to get out of these states. Mm -hmm. They sometimes help us stay in the states. Okay. Yes, true. So deep breathing, (laughs) which is breathing from your diaphragm, you know, doing five to seven breaths per minute. I like to teach counting when I teach deep breathing. So when I do deep breathing, I count and breathe in for six seconds, and then I hold it mm-hmm. for six seconds, and then I breathe out for like eight okay. seconds. And you just count your breaths, right? Yeah. Breathe, hold. Do you remember in like videos or movies and stuff, like <laughs> when people were like hyperventilating, like the paperback yeah. thing? Is that similar? Yeah. Our breath definitely helps with our nervous system regulation. And you can actually use your breath. It's interesting you asked that question. So you can use your breath to downregulate and to upregulate. So when you're in hyperarousal, what you want to be doing is breathing out longer than you're breathing in. When you're in hypoarousal, you actually want to be breathing in more than you're breathing out, and that will help activate your nervous system. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That is good to know. It's really cool. It's a really cool cool. trick to know the type of breathing, right? If you're feeling Mm -hmm. like more slow and slow, you don't even have to be out of your zone necessarily. If you're kind of in that like afternoon after lunch slump where your energy kind of dips, you can actually use your breathing to increase your energy by breathing in more than you're breathing Mm -hmm. out. 
Now, you don't want to do it too much or you will start hyperventilating, right? Just do it for a minute mm-hmm. or so. But it can get your energy flowing again so that you feel mm-hmm. you feel like you're more in that zone, that window mm-hmm. of tolerance zone, where you feel ready to engage. So right. another thing that is really, really helpful and good is humming because the vibrations of humming will actually calm that vagus nerve. The vagus nerve runs through our throat and a lot of times that's where we can engage with it in different ways. So humming is a really good way to calm our nervous system down if we're really feeling anxious or angry. So your the vagal nerve, you said it goes through your throat. All the way through your body. Where does it like it central or does it like split and spread out or like how does well, it maybe we work? should post I, I'm planning on posting a picture of the window of tolerance on Facebook and Instagram. So maybe we'll yeah. post a picture also of our vagus nerve. Okay. So people can see kind of where the vagus nerve goes. <laughs> and if you want to search it, it's V-A-G-U-S is how you spell it. Vagus nerve. Yeah. So other things that you can do to calm your vagus nerve. One thing that I oftentimes recommend is elevating your heart rate. With hyper arousal? With hyper arousal because your body is telling you to fight or to flee. So it's activating your body for physical engagement. So. Ah, so you're kind of tricking it into, okay, yeah, I'm fleeing. So now you can exactly, calm down. Exactly. Exactly. If you, uh-huh. yes, it's yeah. it's kind of like if you complete the action that it's asking you to do, then your body is like, oh, okay, we're safe now. We can do that. That is so interesting because that is opposite of what I would think. Right? Of calming it down. Like if you're Mm -hmm. hot. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. Exactly. So, I mean, it can be simple. Like I will tell people to just do jumping jacks for two minutes, right? Just elevate your heart rate for two Mm -hmm. minutes. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. it will complete the action that the nervous system is asking you to do and then it can shut Mm -hmm. down that response but you can do something like jumping onto trampoline or you know any kind of exercise Mm -hmm. or a lot of times like things that are physically taxing or exerting Mm -hmm. so push-ups pulling stuff like if you're trying to help your kids you could do like wheelbarrow race do you remember that where Someone grabs your feet and then you walk on your hands, like physically changing things within your environment. A tool that I use oftentimes with people who are struggling with anger is I'll have them pick up a really big rock, like almost as heavy as they can. And I tell them to go Mm -hmm. outside and literally throw the rock until their anger dissipates. And people have a lot of success with that one, right? Because they're physically moving their anger. And their mm-hmm. body's like, oh, okay, we're okay now. Yeah. Okay. So there's also, you know, a new thing for people with sensory issues are weighted blankets. And when your nervous system is activated, either hypo or hyper arousal, weighted blankets mm-hmm. can be very helpful. Water and engaging with water in different ways can help. Both warm water, like think taking a bath, which is going to be soothing mm-hmm. and relaxing. Or cold Mm -hmm. water. One trick that I have used a lot with people is if they're having a panic attack, a great thing to do is get a bowl, put some ice in it, fill the bowl up with water, and then literally stick their face in it. Because the cold water will constrict the vagus nerve and can 
switch you from that, you know, sympathetic nervous system state to the mm-hmm. parasympathetic nervous system state. Okay. So music therapy can be really helpful with moving our states because music can affect different parts of our brain. So it can trigger different mm-hmm. responses. So a lot of times people will start off by listening to music that matches the state that they're in and then transition the music to a state that they want to be in. And then food. Uh, you know, a lot of these things are utilizing our senses. And so food and smells can also help us to downregulate or upregulate. And mm-hmm. so food that is like very comforting can help us to downregulate. So something maybe soft and chewy, right? That's it's comforting or drinking maybe hot chocolate. We always think of hot chocolate kind of like warming us and calming us mm-hmm. down. So those are ways that we can help our nervous system to go back to that parasympathetic nervous system state. That comforting food mm-hmm. thing. For me, drinking cold water oh. does okay. that. It's like super Super soothing. Yeah. I love it. Nice. Yes. And that's, you know, I have that general list, but finding the things that work Mm -hmm. for you are Mm -hmm. a matter of, you know, experimenting and trial and error. And then when you find them, make sure that you record it in some way so that when you need it, you can reference them. There was another thing that helped me too. And I think this goes along with the water and the vagal vagus nerve or whatever, but it's, I would get like a washcloth mm-hmm. or a, like a, one of those small like hand towels mm-hmm. and put it in cold mm-hmm. water and then wring it out so it's just damp, right? It's not going to soak anything and then put it over the back of my yeah. neck. Yep. Anyways. Yeah. Sorry. Moving so on. So let's talk about hypoarousal. Mm-hmm. So with hypoarousal, we kind of want to do the opposite of hypoarousal, right? We're trying to activate our nervous system a little bit. We're trying to move from what they call the dorsal vagal nerve response into the ventral vagal nervous response. And so okay. for hypoarousal, once again, we want to be using our senses to kind of help our body to re-energize and reactivate and to get our brain back online. So One really easy way to do that is to use something that smells really strong. And you can do pleasant smells or you can do unpleasant smells. One nice thing about this is once you kind of link in your brain, when I smell this, I'm activating my body. That can be a pretty quick trigger to help you to get back online. Okay. So essential oils, a lot of people like to use them. They'll find one that they really like. You know, for instance, for me, my very favorite essential oil is orange. I'm very, very sensitive to a lot of scents Mm. and I don't like a lot of scents, but I love orange. You know, just the smell of an orange or orange essential oil is Mm -hmm. going to energize me. It's going to help lift me up. Mm -hmm. Chewing on crunchy foods, right? Getting a lot of that sensory experience, like chewing on chips or nuts or something like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to connect more with our body. Uh, sucking or chewing on sour candy is another big one. I sometimes have people just keep like, what are my kids love sour candy. I don't really like sour candy, like keeping sour patch kids or something in their purse. Oh yeah. And then they can just pop that piece of candy. And if they feel like they're starting to zone out or get disconnected, Mm -hmm. just that sour candy Mm -hmm. is like, right. Like bringing you back. (laughs) Yeah. 
But also movement, it can bring you back too, because you're going to be elevating your heart rate again, which is going mm -hmm. to help. So it, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, exercise can also help with the hyper aroused response, mm -hmm. but it also helps with hypo for a different reason. And that's because our Heart rate usually slows down when we're going into the hypo response. So doing something that's just going to get our body and our brain kind of again can be helpful. But other soothing things like rocking. Getting our body in what? Getting our body in movement or in motion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So bouncing on a yoga ball or rocking in a chair, blowing through a straw, Putting on music, right? I talked about that music aspect. You can use that for this as well, where you can maybe start with really calm, soothing music and then move into music that's more energizing. And specifically, if it can help get you moving and like dancing, that's going to bring you out of this hypo-aroused state. So mm -hmm. those are just some quick and easy things that people can try if they notice that they are not in their window or window of tolerance, as right. it's called. Okay. I think that's really good information. Yeah. Well, there's one other piece that we are maybe going to talk about too. Yeah. Which is about how people have different size windows of tolerance. So some people's window of tolerance is very narrow. And so that means that when they're going through life and situations, they might be triggered more easily and flip mm -hmm. into a state of hyper or hyper arousal more easily. Mm -hmm. right. Research has shown that there's a number of reasons why our window of tolerance might be small or might be larger, but we can also enlarge our window of tolerance through therapy or learning how to tolerate our emotions better, right? Learning emotional intelligence and emotional regulation skills can actually help that window to expand. And I think also the more you're able to be aware of like where you're at and respond appropriately, that can also help open up that window because you begin to gain more confidence in your ability to tolerate emo emotions that maybe are uncomfortable or distressing. Mm -hmm. But one big thing that affects the window of tolerance is trauma. I know we've talked about trauma mm -hmm. on here a lot before. Mm -hmm. And this is why this topic came up. We had such an amazing interview with Jeff and Denise talking about PTSD and first responders. And, you know, one of the things that they have learned this past year is about the window of tolerance and how helpful that is. And I think it is really helpful in relationships to understand this, right? To understand the other person and where they're at so mm -hmm. that you can be sensitive to and adapt and help your partner, right? If your partner is in a state of hyper arousal, rather than just being defensive and being like, why are you attacking me right now? Right? Why, why are you getting all mad at me you can say hey i think mm -hmm. i think maybe we need to just calm down would it you know would it help if go take a shower real quick or would you like to get a cold drink right like let's mm -hmm. let's help you to be able to downregulate, and then let's finish talking about this in a way where we can be respectful and, and be able to listen to each other and work through it and solve this problem we can help right. each other when we understand these principles and these concepts 
So other things that can affect our window of tolerance besides trauma, but especially childhood trauma, people who've been through a lot of trauma, when they're younger, their window will be really small. But Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just genetics, right? There's this whole field of psychology that studies something called highly sensitive person. And a Mm -hmm. highly sensitive person is going to be more reactive to the things that are happening around them. And so their window might be smaller. Also, you maybe didn't experience a lot of trauma directly yourself. But one thing that we know which is fascinating, is that trauma can be passed on to us through our DNA. They can actually see how trauma affects DNA, and it can be transferred to us from our parents or or our grandparents. Yeah. Which is (laughs) super fascinating. And, And we can heal from trauma that's been passed on us. It's not like it's a lifelong sentence. It just affects the way that our DNA is and we can make repairs as we learn healthier ways to cope. And so understanding the window of tolerance and kind of like what's happening to us and what we can do about it can be really, really helpful. But also Mm -hmm. people who are maybe neurodivergent, like people with ADHD or people with autism, oftentimes have a narrower window of tolerance. And so helping them to learn coping skills can help them to expand their window. And expanding the window is really kind of the goal, right? What we want to be learning to do is to regulate our emotions and to get back to the green zone, right? So we have the red zone, which is hyperarousal, and the blue zone, which is hypoarousal. And we want to be able to get to the green zone, The green zone is the optimal Mm -hmm. zone of regulation. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons or causes that maybe we don't stay in that zone, but that zone can be increased. I mean, that's a lot of the work that people do, you know, with ABA therapy. I think a lot of that helping those cute kids. Julie did ABA therapy for for quite a while. So she knows all about that, but it's helping those kiddos to know what to do and how to respond and right like all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just such an amazing way of knowing and learning about our bodies that can help in so many ways right it can help for us ourselves as we're learning emotional intelligence skills and how to tolerate distress better we don't always do that very well in our society Mm It can help us in our relationships, especially with our spouses. If anyone is getting really upset, to know, right, that in that moment, if someone is in a state of hyper arousal, nothing good is going to come from pushing the conversation. When somebody's brain is shut down and they're not able to think clearly or process or listen, then it's time to switch focus from whatever the topic was to let's help our nervous systems and our brains to get back online. And once that Mm -hmm. happens, then let's re-engage with this conversation. But I see too many people, they just want to push through, right? Like, no, we need to finish this. Mm -hmm. We need to resolve this. Yeah. We say things and we do things that are not good when we are in a state of fight or flight. They are more damaging. Yeah. And if you're pushing your partner to stay in the conversation when they're wanting to flee, then you probably are going to get some fight. And that's never good. Well, and I think that's something we do with kids too, yeah. right? I think a lot of parents, and I've been guilty of this too, is like, no, I'm the parent. I'm in charge here. You know, yeah. I'm directing this. This is going to go how I say it goes. But, but if they're in a state um, of hyper hypoarousal, they're not going to be able to respond yeah. 
appropriately. Sometimes you have to let them go away. Yeah, (laughs) or help them to regulate their emotions, right? With kids, kind of the goal is from external to internal when it comes to coping Mm -hmm. skills. So you're going to Mm -hmm. hold and soothe and rock a newborn baby because they don't have those skills to calm down when they're crying. And as they get older, Mm -hmm. then that child is to be learning how to do that soothing and that calming themselves. So maybe they go into their room and they turn out the lights or they cuddle up in a blanket or they watch a favorite show or they suck on a sucker you know, something that helps them to calm down. So we want to help them Mm -hmm. to be able to find those skills so that they can calm down. But first we have to do it for them. Like that's part of that parenting process is we're going to start by doing it for and with them. And we're going to slowly help them to do it independently on their own. But you're absolutely right. I think this tool is so helpful for parents to better know Mm -hmm. and understand how to respond to their children. Well, there's something else that I wanted to talk about. I actually had a question or two about it. So this little diagram, which we said we're going to post, it talks about a faux window. Yeah, yeah. So So the faux window is kind of that area in between each of the zones. So so it's like a danger zone. It's kind, kind of the danger zone. It's the zone where yeah. you kind of faux isn't fake. So it's your fake window of tolerance. So it's the zone where you think you're being logical and rational <laughs> and that you have everything together, but maybe you're really upset. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you're not like in a full panic mode or full flight mode, but you also are not responding at your best. And so... Mm-hmm. If you're like, I'm fine. This happens with me and my husband sometimes. I'll be like, why are you yelling? And he'll be like, I'm not yelling. (laughs) And I'm like, "Hmm, I think he's in his faux window because he doesn't recognize that the way that he's responding. And so we've learned to have language around this to help us help each other. Right. So I will say Mm -hmm. to him, if I notice I'm in the faux window or if I'm fully in fight or flight, I will Mm. tell him I'm flooded right now. And he knows immediately that that means that I need to calm down and relax. So he'll be like, do you want to go take a bath? Do you want to go to your room for a little bit? Like he's pretty good about trying Mm. to help and protect me now that he understands it better. Took us a while to get there. Mm -hmm. And when I recognize that he's not doing well, we discussed, you know, how I should respond And he likes it when I ask him, like, hey, what's going on with you? Or how are you feeling right now? And for him, when he's activated, you know, it used to be I would be like, stop yelling. But because he's feeling that hypervigilance Mm -hmm. for threat, he would fight against it. He'd be like Mm -hmm. angry with me for telling him to calm down or to stop. So now instead, Mm -hmm. what we do and what he likes is if I just simply help him to be aware of where he's at, then he's able to respond Mm -hmm. in a way that's Mm -hmm. right. Like I'm not seen as threatening when I'm just like, hey, how are you feeling? Then he can tune in to kind of what's going on internally and he can make adjustments Mm -hmm. and changes because he's more aware. So would you say then in the faux window, there's just a lot of volatility or can be 
like where you think you're fine. Yeah, there's just less awareness. <laughs> but then the next thing, yeah, okay. Um, okay. One thing that I've done in the past, I haven't done it recently, is sometimes when couples are having a discussion, they know that it might be tricky. I would have them put on a pulse oximeter or you can use like your Apple Watch to pay attention to your heart rate. And if you pay attention to the heart rate, you can tell when people a lot of times are going into those states because the heart will either elevate or drop. And once you see that, mm. then you know, okay, it's time to stop talking about the topic and move into regulation. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that can be really helpful because unless we've been trained to start paying attention, we're not usually consciously aware when we flip from one state to another. Sometimes having those outward signs, like having a way to monitor our heart rate, then we can see, oh, my heart is above 100 beats per minute. That means that I'm going into a state of hyper arousal, right? Or, hey, my mm -hmm. heart rate just dropped to like 60 beats a minute. I'm mm -hmm. shutting down. So like when I used it in couples counseling, I actually would put an alert on when it would get over 100. And so we'd be talking and then all of a sudden the alarm would start going off. And then we'd be like, oh, okay, it's time to calm down. Yeah. We're going to do some emotional yeah. management techniques right now. And yeah. that's really, really helpful for couples to know because no one likes usually conflict, right? So knowing about this honestly has been a game changer in my relationships. Yeah. I can see game why. Game changer. Yeah. Well, I think it's just lack of understanding how all that works. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of times our natural tendency is to kind of blame, right? It's like, you did this thing that made me mad. Like, while that might be true that they did this thing and it had the effect, like, we can have the control over the emotions right. and, and how that conversation looks. And it's right? our responsibility to own our nervous system and our responses, mm -hmm. right? It's not anyone else's job to manage my nervous system. They're not in my body. Right. It's my job to manage yep. it. And it's tricky, right? Because I tend to sometimes go mm -hmm. into more of the freeze, the hypoarousal response. And so for a while, that was mm -hmm. tricky with my husband because, you know, I would say stop and then he'd get more mad and then I would just freeze and I wouldn't say anything. And then mm -hmm. I would just be really angry with him. Right. But now I can say I'm feeling flooded, right? Like that's all I have to just be able to get mm -hmm. those words out. And then mm -hmm. he's he can kind of move into more kind and compassionate rather than like more of hyper arousal mm -hmm. because he's feeling threatened. Right. So another thing that came to mind is an example you used in an episode recently, fairly recently, where someone's mother didn't want them putting stuff on their wall yeah. or something like that. And yeah, I see. I think whatever her anxiety is, I think sometimes we have a tendency to be like, yeah, if you just don't do that thing, my anxiety will be fine. Right. And when we understand this theory, though, we can understand that, like, my mom wanting me to do something, I'm not really in any threat, right? Like, she's not going to put a gun to my head <laughs> and make me do this. Right. Right? Like, I'm just worried about her disapproval. Um. Well, it sounds like the mom needed the regulation, they, right? Where she was having the they anxiety. They both did, right? Because the one was like, I'm not sure what she yeah. did. Yeah. But the mom was like, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Her understanding, yeah, that her mom is maybe in a state of hyperarousal, like where this is necessary, can help her mm -hmm. rather than to be defensive or to feel really overwhelmed, just to be like, hey, I can tell you're really anxious. Can we talk about why 
this causes you so much anxiety. Why are you so concerned about yeah. this, right? Like your response can be very different when it kind of changes your expectations. I think we mm -hmm. just automatically assume that everyone should be responding to us as if they're in the green zone all the time. And mm -hmm. if they're not, there's something wrong with them. But this helps us to have more acceptance and understanding both of ourselves and other people. Others, and yeah. so much of our distress and our pain comes to us in our life because we fight against what is. We say we mm -hmm. shouldn't be feeling this way or we shouldn't be doing this or that or they shouldn't be doing this or that. And then we get angry and agitated, right? And it stirs us up. Instead of saying, oh, mm -hmm. my nervous system is wired this way. This is how I'm responding. How do I want to respond mm -hmm. to my nervous system right now? How do I want mm -hmm. to get back into my green zone so I feel better now? Right? How can I work right. on expanding my green zone mm -hmm. so that these little things aren't going to send me off the rails? Right. Yeah. I think this is all really, really good information. Because the thing is, is like we've talked about PTSD and we've talked about ADHD and stuff like that, but you don't have to have any of those things for this to be effective. We all have our Zones. like normal zone and we all have our lines, things that we can take and don't take well. And you don't have to have necessarily some kind of diagnosis. No, you don't. And, so. and everybody's going to have times where they go into hyper arousal and everybody's going to have times when they go into hypo arousal. Mm -hmm. And so understanding, I think for people who maybe don't get as emotionally dysregulated as other people, this can be so helpful because you can reference the times that you were in one of those states mm -hmm. and you can understand that because of the past and a lot of different things, their window is smaller, so they go into those states easier, and it's not a conscious thing. It's not like a conscious choice that they want to be feeling that way. I don't think anyone really mm – -hmm. well, I don't know. Sometimes people yeah. actually do like getting angry. They feel powerful, but I think most people don't like feeling really anxious yeah, or, or shut down. I'm one of those people. I don't like feeling angry. It's not a good feeling for me to yeah. have. I know other people around me don't want me to be angry with them. Yeah. So it's like. So I, think, I feel yeah. like it can just build so much understanding, both for yourself and mm -hmm. for other people, regardless of mm -hmm. if you're a person who has a larger zone or you're a person whose window is smaller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for your expertise on yeah, this. You're welcome. Julie did a whole presentation on this kind of thing a couple nights ago. And so she was already semi-prepared yeah <laughs> so. i had some of my pictures and diagrams and stuff all said and yeah i do talk about this very often with my clients almost all of my clients i usually get around mm -hmm. to talking about this at some point because it is just mm -hmm. so relevant to being human yeah to everybody, <laughs> to everybody. Yeah. and it's something that a lot of people don't know like you mentioned that i did a presentation about this or I had this included in my presentation a, a couple of nights ago. Mm -hmm. And I actually asked for a raise of hands who had heard of the window of tolerance. And one person, mm -hmm. one person, that was it. One person raised one their person. hand. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just not common knowledge. No. Like, it, we don't learn it in schools. No. Like, we don't, you know, it's just one of those things that just gets missed. And yeah, it's something that I'm really glad that Denise brought up during the interview because as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, that would be such a good mind moment. That it's such a helpful topic and principle. And I know it's been really helpful for Denise and Jeff too. 
as they've learned about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. They almost feel like like professionals because of all the things that they've learned this just in the past year. year. And like I know. Yeah. I mean amazing. It was really awesome talking to them. I'm super happy that they were willing to open up. I know that can be so scary. Yeah. Especially with PTSD. Because I don't know, everything feels threatening. Well, yeah, but then also and especially for them, Jeff, because you was talking about the culture in the Uh, Yeah, in you know in that industry is you don't talk about it you just suck Mm it up (laughs) like yeah and yeah Yeah. i'm very proud of him for reaching out and getting help it's amazing it's so good and i'm so happy for them for the journey that they've been able Mm -hmm. to be on it's been hard but it's been so helpful and things have changed drastically in their lives in the last year Mm mm-hmm and it's awesome. It is. It's very cool. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today for this mind moment. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're super excited to be able to share this information with us. Please reach out. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and our email is ycjpodcast at gmail dot com. So we'd love to hear from you and hear more about what you would like to hear about, or if you'd like for us to interview you, please reach out. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye.